And those barriers that people naturally have uh, to protect them against the outside world fall down. You're having fun with one another, you're playing with one another, you go back to being like a child. Because children, they'll just run up to anybody and start playing with them. And if the person plays back, that's great. If they don't, they walk on. And that, with board games, we, we go back to that. Um, going on to another book. Uh, it's by Mike Giaconelli, Dangerous Wonder, uh, going into a more Christian view of play. The play is an expression of God's presence in the world. One clear sign of God's absence in society is the absence of playfulness and laughter. Play is not an escape. 
It is the way to release the life-smothering grip of busyness, stress, and anxiety. Playfulness is a modern expression of hope, a celebration of the flickering light of the gospel that plays with the dark by pouncing on the surrounding darkness like a cat toying with a mouse. So play is being godlike which is what we're all called to do. We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to worship God. So when we're playing these games together, we are actively worshiping, because play is worship, worship of our Creator. Uh, and then sleep takes that even further. When we engage in our relationship with God, with joy and dancing, in play, no matter our age, we please God by taking pleasure in the gift of life and relationship with the Creator and spreading that joy to others. It's God's pleasure that we get blessed by. And because we are being blessed by God's pleasure, we can give that blessing to other people as we are playing. Which is absolutely amazing and it's so true. When you're playing board games, uh, especially when you're coming from the Christian context for it, people will ask you, why are you doing this? And you say, oh well, believe uh, play is, is God-given, play is something that uh, we're called to do and it brings us all together and have fun together. And then they go, did you say God? I was like, yes, I said God. And I say, does that mean you're a Christian? And yes, I'm a Christian. And at that point, the conversation has opened up. Instead of going, ugh, well, we don't want anything to do with Christians, they'll see that they're playing the game with you, that you're all right because they're playing with you. And they'll start opening up to you, talking to you, telling you about their experience of Christianity, asking you questions about your Christianity, giving you a really clear way to open up your testimony to them. And this happens pretty much 80% of the time playing a new game somebody. They will ask those questions of you. So it's really, really powerful stuff. Now whilst we're doing the play, it's really important that we remember what the Bible says about being childish versus childlike in that play. Um, in 1 Corinthians uh, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 11, it says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So, you know, being childish, not a good thing. But then Jesus, in Mark 10, 15, says, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we've got two things there. One saying being childish is wrong, and one saying you have to be like a child. Well, they're two different things. Childish would be playing a game, and every time that we do something, start winning, going, ha, 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 I'm beating you, ha, <laughs> you sound. Whereas, being childlike is allowing yourself to play, allowing those barriers to fall down, and allowing those big questions to come to the fore. Because sometimes we're not happy to answer some big questions. We say, oh well, somebody will ask us something about Christianity that's deep and philosophical. And I might say, oh, you might want to talk to the pastor about that one. Uh, I'm not qualified for that. Well, it's being childish, uh, childlike, not childish, sorry, being childlike. A child will always try and give an answer to the best of their ability to whatever you're asking them. So that's what we can do through. So we're not wanting to be childish, we're not wanting to mess around with this. There is a purpose to the game. We want to be childlike and open up others to that childlike understanding of God at the same time. Um, just a couple more quotes for us. As to why mission is important and the mission to play. And um, again, looking at where Sweet's book, The Well Played Life, uh, Jesus tells us to look for specific signs of our times. He calls us to execute images and metaphors of our culture, to pay attention to what God is doing in people's lives, and to deconstruct the scenarios in which we live, move, have our being, and engage with mission. He goes on to say, Paul approached people where they were, not where he wished they would be. He 
did not flop down the gospel story from on high like a prefabricated box and just go, there you go, that's what it says, do with that as you will. No, he walked with the people until the gospel came to consciousness in the context of that culture. So we can take gaming, there is a massive gaming culture across the whole world, particularly in the UK. There's a Facebook group called Board Game uh, Trading and Chat UK. That's got over 14,000 people on it. There's the big expo that's uh, on every year. That's down attracting 40,000 people over a weekend, all to go and see games. It is a massive culture, and we should be speaking into any culture we find. Now, this could easily be knitting that you're doing it for. It could be fantasy football. It could be and um, I don't know, what's some weird basket weaving or something like that. Whether it's a hobby or life existing that brings people together passionately, you can go to them and bring the gospel into their context somehow. The reason I'm doing book games is because I'm a key, basically. And I Three years president of Harriet Watts Science Fiction and Fantasy Society. <laughs> We need to go and find them and tell them the good news. That's what God's told us to do. That's what Jesus told us to do. He said, go out into the world and spread the kingdom. And in a, a brilliant book by a guy called Stephen Reese called God Wants the Freaks, he says, time and time again in the book of Acts and indeed throughout history, when the church is willing to reach out to and embrace those of difference, those who are in different cultures, the church grows and the people are filled with God's love and with his spirit. And when they don't, the church falters and fails. So we need to be finding these different cultures, these different people, and reaching out to them. So that, that's a theology sort of bit out of the way. How about some facts and figures on this stuff? Um, four games. Wow, that really doesn't show up well. But, um, the top red one is looking at gaming in general, and this is a couple of years old now. I went onto Google Analytics and looked at what the searches have been for the past five years. And you can see gaming, as a trend, is rising. And in the bottom one is board games, and that's also rising. Although strangely, it seems to have a peak around Christmas, isn't it? I might be there. Um, some people are searching for it more and more. Um, we've got Board game cafes. Who's ever heard of a board game cafe? Oh yes. There's pretty much one on every high street now, isn't there? Because people are recognising it's a place to come together and it's a thing to do with one another. Um, and you can see the spike in that is absolutely massive. And actually, if I was to carry on to the past two years, it shoots up even further. It's exponentially growing. So people are looking for places to come together and play board games and meet either with their friends or meeting new people. And the church is a great place to provide that. I've been running um, outreach sessions at board games now for um, two years, three years-ish. Um, and on the very first session, I had a guy in a wheelchair come along. And he says, I hope you don't mind that I've come. And I saw that this was at a church, so I knew it would be somewhere safe for me to come. I've not been out of the house on my own for four years. And this is the first thing I've come out to because I know I'm going to be safe here. So that, that's, it, it's massively powerful. And he comes every month to things that we do. And he started coming along to other things that the church does as well. So it's absolutely brilliant. It's reached out to him and given him a place where he feels he belongs. And it's the same for everyone who comes along. Um, I've had one. Um, woman tell me that through coming to the groups, she's now able to bond with her son better. She was getting a bit worried, just getting into that awkward pre-teenage, because obviously these teenagers were awkward, now it's about nine-year-olds are really awkward starting to get that group away. And actually, by having these game nights, she's been able to connect with him in a way that she'd never been able to before. So it's opened those doors in families as well. Um, I'll just do 
There's a lot of money being spent on board games. A heck of a lot of money being spent on board games. Has anybody ever heard of Kickstarter? Yeah. yeah. Has anybody ever been bitten by the Kickstarter bug? Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry, sorry. My wife's in here. No, I've <laughs> Kickstarter is a community crowdfunding platform. So it means people don't need a publisher. They put their game onto Kickstarter and people put the money in to actually get that game made. And as a result, get the money, get the game as their payment for it later on. Uh, so it basically makes shareholders in, in the creation of things. And it's not just games, there's all sorts of things, art and all sorts of things. But board games are one of the biggest categories on there. Three of the biggest things, uh, Kingdom Death Monster, which sounds delightful, uh, Exploding Kittens, really? <laughs> I do not like exploding kittens. I, 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 maybe I've just not had the right group for this. And, and Seventh Continent, which is an, an exploration game. Uh, Kingdom Death Monster has raised over $12 million in its run on it. Exploding Kittens raised uh, $9 million. Uh, Seventh Continent raised $7 million. It's a lot of money going into these games. And up there we've got Will Wheaton's tabletop. He used a different funding stream of his, he used Indiegogo. And to run one season of that, it's a YouTube uh, series where he gets celebrities in to play board games with him, to, to advertise board games to the world. He raised $4 million to run his fourth season of that through Indiegogo. And there's another group out there called Critical Role, which is role-playing games rather than just board games. They're voice actors, they come together every Thursday, and they do Dungeons and Dragons and record it. They've made, they're making the TV series. Their Kickstarter hit $5 million in a day for it. It is big, big money. People are really interested in these things. So, the interest is there. Wherever the interest is, I think as Christians we should be like that. So, yeah. Um, it works brilliantly as missional outreach. By doing board games, people will come. And, it, and they will. People who have never set foot in a church. The amount of people who have come into it and gone, oh, I've got set on fire, that's novel. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it has to be something that we do because it's where your passion lies. If you're not passionate about the games, it's not going to come across as well to people as you're doing this. But it's also where their passion lies. And because it's where their passion lies, as soon as you start tying in our passion for God to any other passion that people have, amazing things start happening. It breaks down the barriers. We've talked about that briefly before. Um, it's culturally relevant. And it's relevant to people's lives as well. Because sometimes it can feel like you're preaching to a brick wall when you're talking um, about God's people because they've got no reference points to figure out what they're saying. As soon as you reference it to things that they know, it's what Jesus did, it's what parables are. They were parables about people's everyday lives to help explain God. It links it to their everyday lives. It can be used for church plants. Um, I'm personally still trying to work out the kinks of using it for worship. There's a group in America that do it, and, and they, uh, they're called Open the Table Ministries. And they do a board game first, and then sit down for a meal over which they have their worship sessions. So there are ways of doing things with it. I'm just a little bit concerned, because it can be quite easy to turn the worship of God to the worship of God of board games, which is a very different thing. So you have to be very careful with it. So I'll figure it out one day, and then I'll let you all know. <laughs> um, and then the bottom one on this is ASD, Autistic Spectrum. <coughs> People with autism love board games. There are set rules there for them. They know what the person um, next to them is going to do next. Suddenly, all these massive choices that they can't comprehend, they, they're always sat there thinking, what's this person going to do next? What's this person going to do next? And they're always really tense and worried. 
in a board game that goes away because they know what's happened. So suddenly, they've calmed down. Their barriers have fallen, and they can actually share who they are whilst playing board games with you. So it's a very calming influence, and it's very hard to gauge exactly how many people are autistic, and it's very dangerous to be doing that as well. But roughly, at gaming events, you're looking at about a third of the people who come will probably have ASD of some variety, and because it's a calming influence for them. So this is my daughter, who's obviously hurt me and wants to come to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, so which board games to use? There are hundreds of board games out there. Loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads. And loads. In fact, there's a website called Board Game Geek that has a list of them all. Now, on each page it shows roughly 50 games. There are 1,024 pages. So there are a lot of games out there. And there's about 100 to 300 games being made every month coming out. So there are lots out there. But you don't have to use modern board games. Classic ones work just as well, particularly with the older generation. They're not interested really in learning other things, uh, learning new games. They want the ones that they love. The Mummy Cup, the Dominoes, the, um, the Scrabble. And it works just the same. They still come together. They still have fellowship and build relationships with you. Um, I just. I prefer modern board games, personally. That's, that's, that's why I, I focus on that. Um, and the brilliant thing about it is when you're running these outreach meetings, you don't need loads of games. I've got loads of games because I enjoy playing lots of games. But board gamers also have lots of games because they enjoy playing games and they will bring their favourite ones with you because they want to play them. And actually, when you're running these nights, that's what you want to be doing, sitting with them and letting them play their game because then they're even more likely to open up to you. Um, a little bit of self-promotion here. I'm on a website called gamesforall.net um, and on that I give all sorts of advice on how you can use games to explore character and explore scripture. Um, so there's a, a mailing list on there. If you sign up to the mailing list, there's 46 games that I went through and gave a, a breakdown of a question that would be used to explore character, Christian concepts and scripture. And the reason there's 46 for Lent and not 40 is I forgot Sundays aren't part of Lent. And I got to my 40th one and I was like, yes! Uh, Lent hasn't finished yet! Let's keep going. So yeah, I, I don't post that as much as I should, but there are resources out there um, for you to use on it. Um, I'm also creating a holiday club uh, called the On Board Holiday Club. Um, it, it's aimed at uh, children between, I think we went for 8 and 13, I think it was the age range, and it's being trialled by Scripture Union at the moment. So we did our first test of it. I've got a little quick video to show you of how it can work. Now, whether it will show well on the screen is your question, but we'll see. with 12 children at it and um, every single one of them went away having learned something new about Jesus, having learned um, something new about the scripture. 
and wanting to come back. I've had one kid who refused to leave because <laughs> he still wanted to play, so I had to carry him out in the end. So what sort of things could you do with board games as an outreach or mission? Um, we've got board game evenings, afternoons, days, weeks, all sorts of things that we can do as a standard session. Um, it works brilliantly, lots of people come along to them. Um, we've got a group on Facebook of about 100 or so people who are working in this in the UK. Um, through doing the averages and crunching the numbers, it looks like there's about 2,000 people engaging in board game uh, outreaches across the country. And um, something like 80 to 90% of them aren't Christian. And they're coming along and being open to that message of Christ. So it works amazing. Um, I always stress that unless you put very clearly on your posters and in all your advertising that there will be a God star, have a no preaching here. Don't just interrupt everybody. Uh, so, let's, let's go to a scenario of mine here. I think you're playing a game, you know you're going to win. There's just one card that you need to get, you can see it there. You're trying your best not to look at it, so you're not giving it away to everybody else that is there. And once you've got that one card, you have won the game. And the person next to you has just reached and picked it up. And then somebody goes, uh, excuse me, excuse me, yeah. Uh, can I just stop you there? Put everything down, please. We're just going to talk about God for a moment. No. However, if you have said, at this time, we are going to be having a God slot, then people are aware that it's coming up. And if you give a warning as well beforehand, it works fine. But it has to be very, very clear. Also, people hate it if you bait and switch. If you're running a board game night, uh, night, evening, day, and then suddenly spring preaching on them, they're not going to come back because they, they've come for board games. Whereas if you've made it very clear that that's going to be there, they're then at least making the informed decision for it. Um, so that, that's just a, an important thing. That's good for any outreach that you do, that you're very clear about it. Um, and also, your team don't need to be gamers. And in fact, sometimes it's better if they're not gamers because all they need to be are Christians who are willing to talk about their lives. So it, 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 it works brilliantly, it's lots of good fun. Um, schools and children's centres are quite interested in it as well. Um, I'm at a local primary school every Tuesday this summer holidays running an hour long kids gaming session for them. Um, and they bought 700 quids worth of kids board games for us to do it. And it just works brilliantly. You get families coming in, and the centre loves that because usually they get mums and kids. Dads are scared of children's centres. I, I have no idea why, but they come along to things like this. So the children's centres love that sort of impact. And um, schools are a little bit more iffy about you going in, but when you explain to them that you know this counts towards Duke of Edinburgh Award, board games role-playing games, war gaming, they're part of the Duke of Edinburgh Awards skills. So suddenly it becomes more interesting to them. When you explain to them that you're catering for that subset of kids who never really get into any of the teams, they won't be going and doing sports, they won't be going and doing these things, they're the nerdy geeks. And actually you're giving them a place where they can make friends, where they can learn how to socialise and learn to build their resilience. Especially when you mention that word resilience, suddenly it feels like, ooh, yes. Um, so I've done a, a, a role-playing game group at a local high school for the past year, and that worked absolutely brilliantly. They had six kids coming along, and they thoroughly enjoyed it. And they've gone away actually being a little bit more interested in what God's all about. And they said, oh, maybe we will pop on to church at some point. I live in hope. Yeah, that's what we all do. Um, it works in youth and children's clubs. You can use them as your teaching tool, or you can just use them as a, here's an activity filler for you to do whilst we set other things up, or whilst you first come in. They work great. And conventions. Um, at conventions across the world, there are Christian services run on Sundays. So at the UK Games Expo this past year, 40 people went and had a worship service on the Sunday morning, and uh, the NEC allowed us to use one of their rooms for it. 
Gen Con, which is a massive thing in America that's just been. Um, you can't see the picture very well, but they have a hall packed out with a worship service going on in there. Um, we have conventions that have been set up by Christians, and some key members of Christians Against Poverty set up Aircon, which is um, the biggest indoor gaming space in the whole of Europe, and that runs um, in about February half term, usually. Um, and also, we've got Matt here, who does Spring Harvest Holidays, and there's Spring Harvest Board Game Holiday, that he runs, there's a leaflet that that's on the table. So there are massive things going on where we are reaching people, where, you know, Christian, you wouldn't necessarily think Christians would ordinarily be there, but they are. So what resources are out there? Well, when I started all this and I thought, oh, I'm going to do board game in this guy, I thought, I will be the only one. I will be a groundbreaker. Surely nobody's thought of this. And then I went online. <laughs> and um, I found lots of people who are all brilliant guys who, who we work together for things. So we've got Ministry of Board Gaming, which is a Facebook group that's been set up for people across the UK, laity, ministers, and people who are just interested in doing board game mission. And like I said before, we've got over 100 people part of that now. Um, anyone's welcome to it, but it is super, super secret group at the moment. So you have to be added by one of us first on Facebook before we can let you into it. I'm working on changing that. But if you follow all the links on the Games Hall website, you'll be able to find me and we can sort that out. Um, at the bottom here is a guy called Andy Gray, who's the one who set it up. Um, he's a pioneer minister and he does loads of great stuff. Um, you can find him by searching for one grey dot on social media and things like that. He, he does lots and lots of great work, well worth uh, looking into his things. Um, in America, this stuff has been going on for quite a long time, but there are lots of groups out there. There's one called Inroads Ministries, and they do podcasts, and they also do mission events with churches, similar to what I've been talking about today. Um, They've been around for about nine years now, um, and they've run three, pod the three podcasts that are well worth listening to. Um, you've got Game Store Profits, uh, that's recently hit 205 different episodes that they've done on that, where they look at board games through a Christian lens. So they talk about you know, how you could use them and, and how Christians should see things with it. They've got Bard and Bible, which is a conversational devotional set in a Dungeons and Dragons tavern with a bard talking to you. It works really well. And they've got a thing called Inroads Plays, which is uh, an actual play of a role-playing game. So they record themselves doing role-playing games. And uh, it's just some Christians coming together, doing role-playing together. So you get to see what that's like, especially for people who don't have a role-playing group. You, you can live vicariously through them. <laughs> and their website, Inroad Ministries, has lots of really good resources on as well. Um, there are some podcasts that look specifically at role-playing games. So you've got Saving the Game, uh, which is a fortnightly one, and they really do a deep dive into Christian concepts and how they can affect um, your role-playing game sessions. So at the moment they're doing a thing on the Ten Commandments. So they, they recently did one on theft and how that comes across. And talking about how in Dungeons & Dragons, usually the party is a bunch of what's affectionately termed murder hobos, who don't have a home, walk around killing things, steal their treasure and run off. Not very Christian. So it talks through different ways that you could handle getting root, basically. So rather than just stealing it from people, it's, oh, you come across this massive treasure trove. Somebody will be looking for a massive treasure trove. Maybe you could take a percentage of it for giving it back to where it belongs and doing it that way. So instead of you just going, I'm going to take all of this for myself, which is, you know, again, very unchristian, you've got alternative ways of doing it. Um, and there's also the MinMax podcast, um, again, they're looking at the different tropes within role playing games, the fantasy genre, the sci fi genre, through that Christian worldview. Um, they've got convention ministries. This is something mainly from America, more than over here. 
because if you've ever seen footage of American gaming conventions, you'll have seen there's always a bunch of Christians to that side with big yellow placards saying, You're going to hell. You are sinners. And that's not that's not what we want. So these guys, look I know the game church, what they did was they bought stalls inside the conventions and told people that Jesus loves them. They give out things that say, Jesus loves you. They give them various uh, leaflets and scripture and things like that, all pointing towards how Jesus loves the geeks and loves the nerds. And um, sometimes it's successful. A lot of the time they get spat at, they get punched, hit, all that sort of stuff, but they still keep doing it because they love these people. So it's very powerful stuff, um, something that I hope we can emulate over here at some point in the conventions that we've got. Um, there are people who are in preaching ministry. So there's a guy called the Geek Preacher, Derek Wright. Um, he's a Methodist minister in America, and he is chaplain to most of the gaming conventions over there. So his stuff on YouTube is really good to listen to. Uh, Tom Vassell is the world's biggest board game reviewer. He runs the world's biggest board game review site. He's also a youth pastor. And he also runs the uh, worship services at most conventions. So, you know, Christians are very integral in the board game industry. And finally, this is the oldest running group I've been able to find. It's been running since 1996, and it's the Christian Gamers Guild. And, uh, there's a link, if you find the PowerPoint that I've put on um, GameStore, there's a link to their site with loads of other groups that also do Christian ministries to geeks, mostly through board games, video games, things like that. So that's the end of me talking and all that stuff. I'll pass it over to you with any questions. Yes, it's back. there was, uh, we've got some people at the back who are actually involved in UK Games Expo and they're wondering if New Wine would be interested in running a board game tent in the future. So I'm looking. Yeah, involved in the board game. Yeah, not, not running it, but involved in, in all of that. So we'll definitely pass it on to New Wine and see. So, any other questions, statements, thoughts? Uh, top three games to kick off a youth board gaming thing. Hmm. Um, number one would be one called Rhino Hero Super Battle. Um, so in that one, it is basically the opposite of Jenga, in the fact that you're building up a tower. Um, but you, your character is an overweight superhero, so a, an elephant, a giraffe, a giant penguin, or a rhino, and super rhino. And, um, they're very conscious of their weight, so they can't both they can't occupy the same floor as each other at any point. So they're slowly building their way up, and whoever knocks it down loses. So it, it, it's really good fun, very eye-catching, and everybody loves it. Um, the next one, number two, would probably be uh, Ticket to Ride. Would be the next one. That one's always a success story. Um, I'd probably go for the new one, Ticket to Ride uh, London, because it plays in about 20 minutes and it's a bit simpler to pick up. Um, so in that one, you're building routes, connecting cities and, and places together, and you're trying to score as many points as you can by doing that. And it, it, people pick up on that really, really quickly. It's also outselling Monopoly. It's the first modern board game to manage to do that. So, yeah. Um, and then, for the last one, hmm. the one that's gone down the best is King of Tokyo, um, which is basically Yahtzee, but with giant monsters. So instead of collecting uh, numbers, you're collecting attacks and health and victory points. 
uh, that way. And again, it's just got a nice table presence to it. So it's so good my top four. Any other questions? Uh, Uh, so the question was, uh, they're enjoying a game called Pandemic. So in Pandemic, you're playing as scientists who are trying to stop a pandemic of four viruses around the world. So you're working to try and stop this before everybody dies, which happens more often than not. <laughs> um, and and the, the question was, this is a cooperative game. How does that work? How does that work in a different context? And the answer is absolutely brilliantly. Having cooperative play is amazing. People are, are working together and they're talking a little bit more than maybe they would with a competitive game. And they're getting to know what makes each other tick. You've got to be careful of what's called alpha gamer syndrome, which is where some of these just sat there going, you need to do this move next. Oh, you need to do that move next. You need to do this one next and forcing their view on people. But once you got past that, it works really, really well. In fact, I've got one here. This is a reskin of the game uh, called Kings of Tokyo. So instead of getting diseases, you're trying to stop the spread of sin. Kings of Israel. Kings of Israel. Yeah. Um, so you are um, you're going around Israel, stopping sin from being there. Um, you've got five kings who do good things for you and help you stop. All the rest of them just make sin multiply all over the place. <laughs> Uh, again, really good little game that one. Um, there are not many Christian board games that are very good. Most of them are, shall we test your biblical knowledge and see how you do with this? So doing it with anybody who's a non-Christian just instantly doesn't work. Things like this, where it is a theme, and it's not just a pasted on theme, it's a theme that works really well, it's so much better. So uh, yeah, cooperative games are absolutely brilliant. Any other questions? I think there's one over here. How long is your God slot? What does it look like? And how do you get people to talk about it as they go back into the games? Um, so in my outreach events, I don't actually have a God slot. I have, um, I found it works much better just having Christians at each table because people will ask the question and they'll ask, why are you Christian? And actually people giving their testimony is much more powerful than you saying, this is what scripture says um, because it's got that personal touch to it. However, in things where I am using uh, God's Lance, where I'm using it for teaching, I'd start with the game. And it would be either one game or a selection of games all around the theme. There'd be questions there alongside the games for them to think about. Then you come together, discuss the questions, and give your opinion, so your talk, which you've structured around it. Uh, which sometimes falls flat on its face, because obviously when you've given people questions, they can come back with even bigger questions for you. So it can get completely derailed, but it, it does work really well. And the, the thing that he used as his uh, example for that was a game called Sorrow. Now in Sorrow you're building paths and you've got a dragon that is moving along the paths. And what you want to do is stay on the board and be the last person on the board then you've won. And so you're, you're slowly placing these tiles down and everybody's moving around the board. 
Christianity, and it's really good. And, and it's actually really good for talking about um, Jesus and the narrow path versus the wide path. So it's a brilliant teaching as well. But some people really don't like the idea of using mythical creatures and things like that in their games. Um, so the first thing I would do is I'd point them towards um, Tolkien's On Fairy Tales, which is an essay that he wrote about how fairy tales actually enable us to explore the kingdom of God much better than real life is. When you talk about real life, you tend to raise people's happiness when you're talking about things. If you put it in the context of the fairy tale, suddenly they're a bit more open to the concepts than they were before. So that, that's the gist of what he wrote on that one. So that, that's what I thought about. As for choosing what's acceptable or not, it's a... It is down to which church you're in and where you're going. <laughs> and so there, there are many, many different things out there of all sorts of different things. For me, if it was something with ultra-violence and very graphic depictions of that, I wouldn't be buying that for myself, but I wouldn't want people seeing it. Um, so I would exclude that from it. But if I could get a teaching point out of something, then I will be using that game for that teaching point purpose. Uh, so for instance, there's a game on there called Adrenaline, which is a board game version of um, a multiplayer combat arena shooting game. Now, it's not a very interesting concept, but it's something that young people will want to play, and through that you can start talking about violence. And is violence a good thing? Is, uh, you can talk about the Ten Commandments, you can talk about, there's loads of things that you can take it on to. So personally for me, almost anything is okay, but there, there are hard lines, and you can kind of know when you see games whether there's a hard line. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's not as useful as it could have been. Yes? I just certainly done that Ultimate Werewolf there, uh, which is a game where uh, you have hidden roads. So some people are villagers, some people are werewolves. So everybody closes their eyes, the werewolves open their eyes and get to know who each other are. There's certain different roles that get to know different things and do different things. And then the villagers have to figure out who the werewolves are at the end. And if the villagers successfully select the werewolves, they win. If they don't, they lose. So it's a fun, quick game that plays about 15 minutes. There are multiple different types of this game. So we've got werewolf and vampires, both of which are a bit, eh, maybe not. There's one night ultimate alien, which is a little bit better, and one that they've just brought out, which is one night ultimate supervillains. So if you are worried about the theme, that's the one to go for. The supervillains are fine. And um, like most people, <laughs> Uh, slightly better than werewolves on personality, isn't it? Um, and and uh, as you were saying was, the pure joy it brings to young people is absolutely amazing. And um, the best bit of what, of what you said was, whilst you're playing it and everybody's got their heads bowed and eyes closed, at a place like this, everybody's at your brain. It's great. Uh, thank you for that one.
Yes, yeah. So um, I think I was carrying on the idea of themes and ones that are a little bit on the edge. Uh, there's a game called Mysterium. And Mysterium's a little bit like Cluedo, where you're trying to find out who done it, who murdered somebody. But the setting is you have one person who is the ghost who has amnesia and can't remember what happened to themselves and is giving clues to psychic mediums through the medium of cards. So you're looking at these cards which have conceptual art on and trying to figure out which person that conceptual art might link to. So it could be this card has a lot of blue on it and that person's got a lot of blue on them so that's the one I'll focus on as mine. Now obviously psychics and ghosts are very dodgy cards to go on. But, to me, it's, taking, it's making mockery of that, this game is. Because you're actually getting, all the different players are getting different answers. Which is showing you, psychics and mediums, they don't know anything that they're talking about. Because everybody gets something different from it. So you can have that talking point. But also, it opens up those conversations about death. About what you think happens after death. It allows you to start talking about the kingdom, to start talking about heaven and what we believe and the hope and salvation that we have. So the games are dodgy theologically and you wouldn't necessarily want to use them as a teaching tool, but in an outreach night where you are making these links with people, they can be a good way in to having those deeper conversations with people. So you've got to stick with what you're comfortable with. Um, we're told um, in the book of James, I can't remember where, that we shouldn't make our brother before just because we're fine with something. So if you're okay with it, that's great. If other people around you are not, step away from it. Don't, don't force it upon them. fellowship together and, and has from there grown to 72 people coming along to it. Uh, they no longer meet in their living room anymore, it's a bit like sardines, but it is growth and it's amazing people come along. So that was a board game group that's just set up and three 80 year olds have come along and really enjoyed themselves and got involved. Um, Board games are one of the very few things out there that you could have an eight-year-old and an eighty-year-old sit down doing the same thing for two hours mm -hmm. and both come away saying, that was amazing, I really enjoyed that. So, really powerful stuff. Modern games are, tend to iterate upon them and add new mechanics, but the classic games are at the base of it, and some of them are really, really good. 
So I divided them up at the start. But you could actually use it as a prayer tool and say to people, you know, which of the pieces do you feel you are? Where do you feel you are at the moment? Which of the properties do you feel you're in? Where would you like to be? And let's play on that. So you're actually using it as a tool to facilitate prayer. Jenga is also brilliant for it, because you can do that for confession of sins. You move a block for every sin that you've done that week, so everybody should be removing all of them. But you know, as, as you think of it, take it out. When it collapses down, if you sin too much, your world does collapse around you, doesn't it? But God builds it back up again, and you start afresh. So Jenga is a really good model for sin makes everything crumble, but God brings it back together again, which is starting to each week. So they do have a place and they are absolutely brilliant still. And um, just like I said, I happen to really like playing board games and that's how I do it. So yeah. started up, uh, it has uh, the youngest is a four-year-old uh, with Down syndrome who just enjoys playing with the double cards out of the tin. The oldest are in the 80 plus group and they all enjoy it and it's that mixture of old and new that is brilliant. Um, okay. Oh. We can get good games like the NIS and the Syncopies and RPGs. Yep. How do you deal with the idea that there are other gods um, so it's how to deal with other gods being represented in games as well. Um, when you're playing games like um, Inish, Cyclades, uh, Kemet, Blood Rage, Rising Sun, all, all of these, they're games that are set in uh, different historical settings. So you're, you're playing as if you were people in that historical setting, so it's what they believe. So it's not anything that's true. It's, it's just a, a fantasy setting set around the theme that they believed in. So uh, that's how I, I handle that one. In Dungeons and Dragons and games like that, where they have these gods that give the clerics powers and things like that, there's two ways that you can go about it. The first one is just explaining it is clear fantasy. It's not real at all. These are just names of beings that are in this game. They're not a real thing. And the other one is you could say that God is there and these are just beings that God created. So they're, they're the angels that have these different powers and, and things like that. It's a bit more dicey that one, but it does work for some people, makes them feel more comfortable about it. If you're not comfortable about it, change it completely and say, no, you can't have these different gods. You, there is just one God, so any cleric is getting all of their abilities from the one God. And that works just as fine as well. Is that time? Yeah, I'm really sorry. I know we could like go on and share so much more. I like Stephen, thank you so much. Shall we give him a round of Thank you for your honesty and uh, thank you for your generosity in um, 
that gamesforall.net website and all the work that you've done on that and made available to us. I really appreciate, um, and I can't, I can't speak for everyone here, but you know all that you've given. And part of me thinks I want to go away now. Forget lunch and just start playing a game. But do you know, like you've given us so much, and, and I encourage each one of us to keep these conversations, but also to think, where can I? Where's my next step when I go home? What can, if, if I'm running a club, where, where what could I do next? Or you know, how can this grow? Hey, Lord, we started with four, maybe we have 72, and, and grow and grow and grow. But thank you so much. I know that there are things here. There's also the leaflets about spring harvest. Do come and take those. Um, do enjoy the rest of your day. I, I um, hope that you have heard communicated to you about the weather coming in and taking gazebos and things down this afternoon because tomorrow the weather is not so good. and. Um, Saturday it's not so good either so the team are encouraging uh, if you're not sleeping in it take it down sort of thing while it's dry and when it's not windy um, so if you could do that that would be great but thank you so much um, for your time have a good rest of the day um, and enjoy all the games you play